Greetings, my name is Wally Brown and I'm sitting here with Assistant Professor of Urban Studies and Planning and Real Estate, Professor Gebhardt. He is also a member of the Board of Commissioners for Home Forward, a housing authority in Portland, Oregon. Greetings, Professor. Hi, Wally. Thanks for uh, having me. Yes. Thank you for coming through. Mm -hmm. We had technical difficulties the first time, but we're going to power through. Um, Our first question is, how does public participation inform your practice, both as a professor of the next generation of planners and as a practitioner in the field? Yeah, so um, public participation is really at the core, particularly of what we do as a planning uh, academic. Um, So uh, over the last, say, 30 or 40 years, uh, public participation and um, planning processes have really become kind of the central feature of a lot of planning practice and a lot of what we end up teaching students to do. Um, uh, So some of that's in a reaction to doing it very poorly in the past, um, and some of it is um, about uh, looking at the ways in which that it it can potentially produce better outcomes uh, from a planning process. Um, So we tend to do a lot of uh, teaching students how to do different pieces of this, like identifying the different stakeholders that uh, that maybe have an interest in or uh, or should be included in a, in a planning process, um, reaching out to those uh, different individuals and organizations, um, bringing them into a process either to kind of get information from them, communicate information to them, um, maybe get their buy-in to a, a process, um, so that that communication piece and the the the, uh, the participation becomes very important. Um, uh, so we tend to do a lot of uh, teaching around that. Of, of course, part of the problem um, and the tension, uh, both in kind of theory um, and in what we actually see in practice, is the balancing that with the technical expertise, um, particularly when you have you know, sometimes very large, very complicated, um, very technical projects. How do you balance the, the desire for public participation and engagement um, with that, uh, the, the kind of need for that technical expertise as well, um, and the kind of communication and back and forth around that. Um, as far as Home Forward is concerned, public participation is, again, a really important part of what we do, um, both in terms of trying to get information from um, uh, from residents and uh, from other kind of stakeholders, uh, other organizations about how we can do our practice better, so how we can uh, build better uh, affordable housing developments, how we can uh, better rehabilitate and, uh, and you know, kind of maintain what we have right now, um, and how we can kind of connect our residents with housing opportunities, with other types of services and things like that that can help them to, to, to thrive. Um, so, uh, but there's different pieces of that as well, different stages in the process around uh, um, uh, right, kind of communicating information, but also ways of uh, trying to get that uh, from them. Okay. And with that, how do you balance the, um, how do you balance the ideal form of participation, the ideal of full participation and the realities of maybe time limits or budget constraints Hmm. on on your capacity as an organization to reach out to the community. Yeah, so that's a really big challenge. um, That uh, and it comes back to, in certain ways, the second question uh, that you have um, that you shared with me around outreach and communications, and sort of a a continuum of different types of uh, communication with uh, 
um, uh, with the groups that you're um, working with. Um, and so uh, if you're faced with uh, significant budget constraints or, or timeline constraints, that maybe um, it's much more about communicating um, and ensuring kind of transparency and understanding of what's happening. Um, it's less about the kind of deep uh, engagement that you maybe want to get uh, yes. from a theoretical perspective, but um, is simply practically, uh, you know, untenable in that particular situation. Um, I think one of the key things that we do in, in terms of Home Forward, and I think this is probably a good practice generally, is to um, have a long-term engagement strategy where we're trying to uh, build relationships and trust and communication um, with uh, different stakeholders and, and in particular with our residents so that way um, when you are faced with one of those situations where it's sort of that short timeline or something like that you don't have to spend all the additional time trying to build those relationships and um, uh, you already have those set up um, and you have that trust to be able to kind of communicate um, and that you know that those groups believe that you are yeah, working towards a, a positive uh, kind of outcome that makes sense for our audience, the second question was, um, are outreach and communications treated as different skill sets in your practice? And I will direct that question to the professor. Yeah. So um, I think in both cases, uh, to a certain extent, yes, and to a certain extent, no. So that um, we tend to think about uh, communication and outreach and engagement um, and sort of decision making as being part of a larger continuum. Um, some, uh, in some ways it's based off of kind of Sherry Arnstein's ladder of public participation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, and uh, so that depending on the particular uh, the process, the particular policy, the particular program, the, the, the particulars of a, a certain situation, you might choose different types of communication or outreach strategies. Some, um, you know, going back again to that first question about time and money and things like that, you might have the opportunity to do you know, deeper engagement around a question, and particularly if it's you know something that might have a really large impact, you probably want to do that. Um, uh, at other times, it's more about communicating information to, uh, to people so that they understand um, and ensuring transparency about decision making um, and things like that. Um, so uh, particularly around things like um, uh, lease clauses or things, uh, reporting requirements, um, paperwork that has to be filled out that's coming down from the federal government level. We don't yeah. really have any ability to change that, those. We have to use them. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it's much more about communicating and making sure that people understand um, the what it is they're looking at, what it is they're signing, how that's going to affect their, you know, their, their housing. Um, so that you, you have to choose sort of a different strategy at different uh, points. Now, some of the skills are also the same. So the ability to sort of explain complicated, uh, complex ideas, um, very specialized terminology often, mm -hmm. um, right? Uh, uh, you know, throwing around FARs and floor erasure, right? Uh, things yes. like that. You have to be able to explain what that means, help people to understand that. So that's a kind of key skill, whether or not you're communicating or trying to do more kind of outreach and engagement and get more feedback. Um, also, I think that like, empathy and compassion uh, is an important component of any of these, right? Uh, yes. Whether it's 
uh, direct communication or, or engagement. So I, I think that there are certain skills that are important either way. Um, uh, but yeah, depending on what strategy you choose, you might emphasize one more than the other. Um, so I, I think we generally tend to treat them as part of a larger continuum of, of, of kind of communication skills generally, uh, interpersonal, um, kind of speaking to larger groups, right? There's, there's, it's part of a larger skill set. Okay. So it's not so much like these don't have to be mutually exclusive terms. It can be a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. And I think that there's also the piece, uh, different piece, different ways of communicating, whether it's written communication um, uh, or uh, verbal communication mm-hmm. or visual communication, um, right? That there's perhaps different skills that in each of those that you might um, uh, try to learn and then bring them together um, in different ways. Uh, I also think that uh, there are potentially um, different skill sets depending on your audience. So I think that's also one of those kind of big picture skills that you need is figuring out who your audience is for a particular, you know, communication strategy. What do they know already? What do they need to know? What level of uh, familiarity do they have with a topic? Um, what level of comfort do they have with your organization? Um, right. Uh, so really understanding who it is you're trying to communicate with um, can help shape uh, then which strategy you choose and how you go about you know, kind of managing that communication. So, you know, knowing um, that in certain situations uh, you're going to want to use really technical writing and technical language because you're communicating with, you know, other planners or engineers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're talking with a more general audience, you probably want to avoid those sorts of things and uh, to speak in more plain language. Um, uh, even if you do have to refer to those technical concepts, you know, being able to kind of transition between those, um, uh, depending on your audience's needs is, I think, a, a very important skill set. That makes uh, a lot of sense. We use, um, I know, at my previous position, we used flight attendants to speak in plane language because they had a lot of experience on oh, planes. Yeah. It's, it's just a joke. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think you, you answered the third question uh, beautifully, is how do, how do you and your organization professionally balance public engagement with policy and implementation? Mm-hmm. I'll ask you one more question, then we'll go to a quick break. Sure. Uh, do you consider public health related to your work? And if so, how? If not, why not? So, um, yes, I, I, absolutely I do. I mean, I think that... Um, planning more generally, um, as well as the work that uh, the housing authority does, um, you know, we're looking at trying to um, help to shape and provide things like safe, stable, affordable housing, um, uh, an accessible range of activities and services for people, walkable environments um, so that people can um, uh, to encourage that, uh, but also, you know, um, people to be able to be mobile and get out into that environment so not necessarily just walkable but also mm-hmm. rollable um, yeah. 
Um, ADA. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we talk about uh, you know creating places, whether it's public places or otherwise, that encourage social interaction between people mm-hmm. um, to help build mm-hmm. relationships and help build community. Um, we, you know, we work towards a healthy natural environment uh, that's also accessible to, to, to people. Um, you know, quality education and employment opportunities and the accessibility of those. So I think all of those together contribute to you know, kind of larger public health. Um, and I think that planning is very much focused on helping to right, create and shape those. Uh, so I think that there's definitely a deep connection between them. Um, and, uh, and specifically in the work with Home Forward, we are, uh, have been um, in looking very carefully at and partnering with different health organizations around um, uh, sorry, insurance companies and, uh, and hospitals and health providers around, well, does having safe, stable, affordable housing actually help to, say, reduce emergency room visits? Um, does it help to um, increase or improve the overall um, health outcomes for individuals or families uh, that have access to that? So we've been pairing up um, housing opportunities, vouchers, and things like that with some of those services to try and fit find that out. Um, and then part of that is trying to make an argu- a larger argument around the, well, we should consider housing to be a key component of the healthcare uh, sort of system mm-hmm. um, and public health more generally. Um, and so maybe we should put some uh, resources and effort towards making sure that, uh, that people have more uh, resources and effort towards making sure people have that housing as a way of improving those larger health outcomes. So absolutely, I think that the two are very closely uh, related um, whether you're talking about planning and public health or housing and public health. Uh, I think, though, historically, there has been a split between the, uh, the, the, the fields. Um, I think some of that goes back to public health um, being more associated with things like sanitation um, and, and, uh, and planning kind of moving away from that um, and kind of leaving that to uh, right, engineers and others um, and um, and epidemiologists and really kind of focusing more on things like um, right zoning codes, um, uh, transportation projects, uh, urban renewal projects, even though there was clearly a connection in those part mm-hmm. of what they were trying to do with urban renewal is remove blight and try to produce better kind of conditions, remove um, what's called slum housing, um, you know, deteriorated, uh, dilapidated housing conditions. Um, but there wasn't a, an explicit recognition of necessarily the connection to health outcomes. And I guess with that, as a professor for the next generation of planners, mm-hmm. how do we, how do you balance the need for a holistic approach versus the realities of specialization mm-hmm. being needed to competently navigate these very complex systems, mm-hmm. especially of legal yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that um, uh, that is a, a challenge for planning generally um, because it is a generalist field in many ways in that it touches so many different aspects of right the built social economic environment. Um, uh, and yet there also are kind of these subfields that can become very, very specialized. So you can become a transportation planner and have no connection whatsoever to you know, housing or um, uh, you know, parks or things like that. And so um, that particularly as your career progresses, you might get very 
um, uh, siloed in that. Uh, I think that is a bigger problem that we need to address, and I don't think we've we've fully successfully done that. Um, certainly, as a um, as a as an instructor, as a as a teacher, uh, one of the things I try to do is expose students to different aspects of the planning process and show how things are connected. Um, and I and I strongly encourage students to take a um, a wide variety of different uh, courses. Um, to you know, take courses that allow them to interact with people from different fields. So particularly because of my um, uh, kind of background in real estate and the, the connection to the master's in real estate program, I tend to encourage students to, right, to do that, uh, to, to take real estate courses. And to, but you could say the same thing about public health um, mm-hmm. as being a, a really kind of uh, key uh, connection for for planners um, and a key area to really understand. Um, I think that connection is helped by the fact that the um, American Planning Association and um, the uh, American Institute of Certified Planners have been engaging in an effort over the last five years to establish stronger connections with public health. So there is a uh, a whole kind of research and policy and programmatic arm of national organization that's really focused on that now so it's it's much easier now to be able to sort of send students to that and show that hey look yeah the discipline really thinks that this is an important connection and so um so maybe we should pay attention to it let's do it professor gephardt will be back in a few This is Wally Brown, and we are back with Professor Gebhardt, Assistant Professor of Urban Studies and Planning and Real Estate, and member of the Board of Commissioners for Home Forward. This is part two of our interview. So we're going to segue straight into question number five. What would you consider to be the two most closely related disciplines to your field? Yeah, so this was um, a question where I actually thought a lot about it because there's um, sort of historical connections. Um, so historically, planning has been very connected with, say, architecture, landscape architecture on one hand, um, and then public policy on the other. So if you look at planning academia and you look at um, uh, where planning programs are housed, um, in universities across the country, it tends to be in one or the other of those. So in a college that also has architecture or landscape architecture or one that uh, associates it with like public policy, um, uh, political science, things like that. Um, so, I, you know, kind of historically and academically, I think that those are probably the two closest connections. So um, landscape architecture, architecture and, uh, and public policy. Uh, internationally, um, it's uh, often very closely associated with geography, um, particularly human geography. So if you look at uh, schools and um, they kind of come out of the British tradition, uh, there's a very close connection there, um, which raises some interesting things around uh, colonialism um, because that's part of where the geography discipline came out of. But anyway, uh, that's perhaps a separate podcast. <laughs> um, uh, so I think that, that, that there's that. I think in terms of practice, um, planners are often um, much more directly engaged with um, uh, people in sort of the real estate field. Uh, so 
who's actually building, um, right? The structures that are uh, a place is zoned for. Um, so it's oftentimes people, whether they be uh, private sector developers or nonprofit developers, right? Actually, kind of building that environment. Um, uh, for certain other subfields uh, like transportation, it might be civil engineering. You can even mm -hmm. see that connection here on campus. Uh, mm -hmm. So our transportation certificate and um, the sort of transportation focus has a strong connection with faculty in civil engineering. Um, uh, for economic development, often economics is a, a field that we're closely uh, connected to. So to a certain extent, it kind of depends on the subfield. But yes, broadly, I think that uh, uh, that we've been historically connected with uh, architecture and uh, public policy. That sounds great. Well, let's see. Now that uh, segues into uh, question number six. Actually, before we get into that, mm -hmm. do you think, so this podcast is ideally about the relationships between planning and public health. Mm -hmm. Do you think that in order to, in order to integrate the fields of planning in public health, we need to take a more holistic approach, which is like involving public policy, like having public health inform public policy and therefore in inherently informing planning and the same with architecture. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that that's a, um, an important piece of this. And I think it goes back to the, the way that I think about planning more generally and, and, and about cities and urban spaces more generally as being about the interconnection of, uh, of lots of different uh, right, aspects of, um, of, of the sort of social, economic, political, physical, natural environments, um, um, but also the, the, uh, the outcome of the actions of multiple different disciplines. And so absolutely, we need to be better communicating amongst those disciplines, better understanding you know, what, what's driving um, right, decision-making within those uh, disciplines. What information are you relying on? What sort of analyses are you using? What sort of strategies are you know, considered best practices? Um, uh, so, yes, I think it's incredibly important to kind of understand those, to be able to better communicate between and to, to come up with better outcomes, ultimately. Okay. So, um, and definitely the kind of holistic uh, approach to things, being able to kind of look at that and, and um, accept information from, you know, a variety of different uh, disciplines and backgrounds and people um, as very much an important component of, of, I think, producing those better outcomes. That sounds good. And I just to like highlight an example is one I, that I can think of that hits all four fields of like architecture, planning, public policy, and uh, public health is like uh, lead, lead paint mm -hmm. being put in houses. Like they change the policy and it's like the public health data informed the public policy which was enforced in our architecture hmm. and then mandated by our zoning practices of like any any place that is residential cannot have this specific type of architecture for these public health reasons and it's reinforced by the policies mm -hmm. and connecting back to public housing um public housing often had uh ser serious lead paint problems in part because um the to keep costs down they received the excess uh, lead paint from, say, making battleships and tanks and things like that from the war effort, mm -hmm. um, and so they would receive all that, uh, uh, that, that, that uh, those supplies, um, use them to uh, to um, construct the public housing, and so you often had very 
extensive lead paint problems that then are still causing problems today as we're starting to you know rehabilitate um, projects that have been you know uh, experiencing deferred maintenance let's say for decades yes i will say that's a world war ii for mm -hmm. our audience yeah sorry <laughs> no that's okay all right so let we got two more questions left mm -hmm. So, do you consider interdisciplinary approaches necessary or at least desirable to practitioners in your field? Mm -hmm. So, I, I think that we've, uh, in, in many ways, sort of uh, covered this one. I absolutely, I think that they they are in, um, vital to really understanding um, and, and engaging in, in good practice. Um, that being said, I, it is possible to not, um, uh, you know develop those sort of interdisciplinary connections and practices um, and understandings. Mm -hmm. um, so we, while we have tried to um, open things up within the you know, sort of um, uh, planning program to allow for that and to, to try to advise students in ways that help them to right, take classes in different disciplines and to kind of build that, uh, that up, um, because of the kind of history of focusing on specific fields, uh, again, like transportation mm -hmm. or like housing or things, you can not you don't necessarily have to have that exposure to different disciplines, even though I think it would be beneficial. Um, I also think that in many places, the way that the university system is set up um, um, uh, sort of pushes against this in the sense that well, if we all want student credit hours, right, we want the students to be taking classes in our particular discipline, in our particular field, and so um, it makes it harder to encourage students to, you know, take uh, classes in different disciplines. So then some of it is about trying to bring that into the classes that the students already have to take um, and to... Um, right, encouraging within those classes. So, for example, I encourage students to take um, the uh, intro real estate mm -hmm. class where they um, are encountering students in the master's in real estate development program. And I, um, in the groups for that class, I basically force different disciplines to work together um, on those projects. So you are um, learning about a different discipline and you are engaging with uh, with people who are doing that and so again you're learning about uh, well how do they view the world and what approaches do they use and what sort of practices do they have um, retrofitting suburbia ah there you go yes those classes are always fun there's always there's always like a dynamic between MRADs and MRPs mm -hmm. Masters of Urban Planning students and real estate development students and it's always it's always intriguing um i think that uh i believe you're in the dual degree program yes i'm in the um, dual degree with the so that's also a, a, a way in which we can encourage a kind of interdisciplinary training is to have um those kind of dual degree options um so that they are available to students and um, you know you're not trying to cobble something together on your own and uh, and it may we make it really difficult I think also the certificates that we have um, offer that to a certain extent so we have graduate certificates in real estate development or in transportation or in GIS um, or in urban design um, or in food systems um, that can be layered on top of um, your sort of core degree uh, that gets you some of that interdisciplinary training. 
um, although to a certain extent it also eats up your electives and focuses you in on a particular area too. So, yes. um, unless you stay in school for five years. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we're gonna get to our final question. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is about um, metrics. How do you measure met- how do you measure outcomes within your field in terms of project analysis and pud- in public engagement? Mm. Yeah, so um, this is something I think before we started the podcast I mentioned is mm-hmm. that I'm not sure planning um, has got this down yet. I'm not sure we do this um, as well as uh, we should be. Um, we tend to be very future-oriented, come up with you know grand visions and great ideas and wonderful strategies to achieve whatever uh, goals we might have. Uh, but in terms of actually monitoring the success of those programs or or lack of success of those programs um, and really uh, then kind of feeding that back into uh, kind of improving a program as it as it goes along or you know maybe choosing a different path next time I don't think we're terribly good at that mm-hmm. um, so there are different outcomes that we do try to measure so um, you know things like uh, number of housing units uh, built um, right at what income levels uh, so how many people are we able to serve uh, with that um, in um, uh, things like um, we do look at health outcomes. I think you mentioned uh, asthma rates and things mm-hmm. like that. Those are things that um, are of interest, um, although we're not terribly good at actually, again, kind of measuring those. Um, so number of jobs created, um, uh, right, income levels, I and mean, there's different things that we try to look at, but actually having those kind of feedback into and, and um, uh, is not quite as... Uh, as robust as you'd like to see. Uh, it's definitely something at, with the housing authority we are working on of trying to have metrics associated with each project um, that allows us to actually kind of revisit it at the end and, and uh, take lessons learned from that. Um, on the public engagement side, uh, it's uh, it's harder to have specific metrics, but things like the number of people who show up, um, uh, trying to get uh, information about who they are and do we have a you know broad cross section of um, you know uh, members of the public um, or organizations um, of course that's also tricky though because uh, if you try to gather too much information um, sometimes that can turn off people and not have them um, uh, particularly with the, our current you know government and approach to uh, immigration policy, uh, it makes it really difficult if you start to gather information to have, you know, people willing to engage and to kind of trust uh, your organization. So, um, uh, so yeah, so I don't think we're all that great at at measuring uh, things. And so I think that maybe is something we can learn from different disciplines who are actually better at um, kind of developing those metrics and um, uh, and actually using them. Um, so, yeah. That's great. I love pulling in the physics example of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Mm-hmm. The more you try to look at something, like the more you're fundamentally altering it, mm-hmm. you can definitely see decision fatigue. Like the more you ask for surveys, the more averse to surveys your audience becomes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I also, um, 
the Hawthorne effect. Yeah. Really, right. The um, that yes, by, simply by observing it, you you change the outcomes. Yeah. Um, which interestingly, uh, uh, my partner's grandmother worked at the uh, Hawthorne. Um, uh, the the what the sorry the um, uh, the electric. Was it the General Electric Company that they were doing that study at? So oh, she was wow. actually one of the uh, study participants, if you will. Um, oh, wow. That. so, That's a small world. Yeah. I have a final question for you. When it comes to an interdisciplinary practice, especially both as a practitioner and a professor, mm-hmm. like balancing idealism with what's realistic? Let's see, do you think... Mm. Um, how do you prioritize interdisciplinary literacy mm-hmm. and interdisciplinary competency, like being able to do what other disciplines can do mm-hmm. or being able to understand the work of other disciplines and being able to translate that into our own work? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would um, favor the um, the latter. The literacy? Um, yeah, the actual okay. uh, sort of understanding what it is that other disciplines do, uh, but not necessarily having to... to do that and master it uh, yourself. I mean, um, in planning, we have also seen over time uh, the development of interdisciplinary teams. Uh, some of that is driven by the fact that we do have kind of the siloing of individual mm-hmm. um, uh, practitioners. So then you have to bring together these teams of different, uh, uh, from the uh, sort of different uh, different subdisciplines and different fields. Um, and I think that that's. Right. Each of them has their own uh, training and expertise and knowledge base, and I think I think it's really good to say, sort of bring those together. But as you said, it's about understanding well what it is that that discipline is trying to communicate, and, and um, uh, what are they looking at, and what is what is interesting to them, um, and how do you kind of translate between those. Uh, different disciplines and uh, some argue that that's actually what planning's role really is is about um, translating not simply between kind of experts and um, and non-experts but also between different experts Mm -hmm. um, right being able to understand what it is that's driving the civil engineers and the public health uh, professionals and the architects and uh, the real estate developers and how do we kind of bring all those together around a kind of shared uh, vision of a, uh, of a kind of better outcome. Um, so, uh, I think I think I kind of buy that as as the role the planning uh, uh, has or should have. Well, thank you so much, for- Professor. Mm-hmm. Thank you for spending time with us. This was Professor Gephardt, Assistant Professor of Urban Studies and Planning in Real Estate and also um, a member of the Board of Commissioners at Home Forward. You can find him at PSU, that's Portland State University. Thank you so much. Thank you.